The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show, Season 3, Episode 25 for October 18, 2023. This show was pre-taped on Tuesday, October 17. We're broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. This week, we speak with several guests who can offer insight and their thoughts into the explosion of violence in the Middle East this past week. First, we'll talk with Jason Greenblatt, former White House envoy to the Middle East under former President Donald Trump and the author of the recent book, In the Path of Abraham. Then we'll speak with Mustafa Barghouti, Palestinian physician, activist, and politician who serves as General Secretary of the Palestinian National Initiative. And he's been a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council since 2006 and a member of the PLO in 2007, Barghouti was Minister of Information in the Palestinian Unity Government. And then we'll also speak with Crispin Blunt, who is a minister of the British Parliament and co-director of the International Center of Justice for Palestinians, which announced a notice of intention this week to prosecute UK government officials for, quote, aiding and abetting war crimes in Gaza. We'll discuss all that and all those issues right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in her authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seat guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high-quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. And now we're on the line with Jason Greenblatt, the former White House envoy to the Middle East under former President Donald Trump and the author of the recent published book, in the Path of Abraham at www.inthepathofabraham.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the radio show. Thank you for having me at this dark and gloomy time. Um, I, I know this is kind of all very controversial, but you were very involved in the peace plan during the Trump admin administration and a man with much experience in this conflict. Who do you blame for the recent escalation? One of the things that we discovered when we worked on the, on the peace plan was Hamas was really one of the major blockers to potential peace between Israel and the Palestinians. You know, you and I don't agree on many of the issues, and we could discuss them at length. Jerusalem, what I don't like to refer to, but what you would refer to as refugees, I call Judea Samaria, you would call occupied Palestinian territory. I get that. And we could spend weeks, if not months, talking about it. Sure. 
But our view very much was unless and until we could uproot Hamas and let the Palestinian people have proper leadership, leadership that wants a better future and doesn't want to destroy Israel, there's really not much to discuss. So I would say that, you know, as difficult as the lives of the Palestinians have been, the two plus million Palestinians under Gaza, their lives are miserable because of Hamas first and foremost. Could things be different if Israel didn't have to blockade or Egypt didn't have to blockade? Again, we could talk about all that. Uh, there's so many nuances there. But the primary source of the misery of Palestinians and the attacks on Israel is Hamas. And just a, and in terms of this recent uh, flare-up, this violence that we saw, um, what was what provoked it? I mean, was there something that provoked it, or what? In your perspective, um, you know, who do you blame for this? Well, in my view, the Iranian regime is behind all of this. They're not just behind Hamas; they're behind Hezbollah, they're behind the Houthis. Of course, you have ISIS. All of these terror groups are enemies, not just of Israel; they're enemies of America. They're enemies of our friends and allies throughout the Middle East, our Gulf friends and allies, Jordan, Egypt. So I would first and foremost put the blame on the Iranian regime and its terror proxy Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. What specifically sparked it? Look, we'll find out as the investigation goes on as to how this was missed. But by all accounts, it seems this has been in the planning for many months, perhaps as long as two years. I suspect, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect they saw the divided uh, the, the protests in Israel, what they thought was a divided society. They saw reservists saying they won't answer the call of duty, which clearly they misread because, as I understand it, the um, the draft has gone 130 percent, not just 100 percent, but Israelis have come from all corners of the world, plus the Israelis who were there to defend their homeland, their country. Um, I think uh, the Saudi potential peace deal with Israel, which we all know is extraordinarily complicated and we weren't at the cusp of it yet, but it was, you know, certainly in the right direction. I think that makes it, the Iranian regime angry and scared, and all of those together probably prompted them to use this moment in time to launch their brutal, savage attack. And but I mean, some people would argue, isn't it uh, this uh, continuing occupation, as per the United Nations? Um, allegations of intimidation by this right-wing Israeli government that's led to this point? I mean, do you hold Israel's current government? We're not talking about people or the country, but politics. Do you hold the current government responsible in any way for this leading up to the intensity that we saw? No, not, not only do, I'll get to the right-wing comments, but not only do I not hold the government responsible for the attack, but I think that anybody who tries to justify this because of what they call the occupation, what I would call a land dispute. Anybody who tries to justify it by comments or statements or even ugly actions by a handful of people who might have um, uh, attacked Palestinians in the West Bank, I think that they're an enemy of civilization. You cannot condone any person, any group of people, in this case, hundreds, perhaps more than a thousand Hamas terrorists going into another country, or even if they did it within, among Palestinians, and slaughtering and murdering and uh, raping and burning civilians alive. There's no, there's just no comparison whatsoever. As far as your point about the right-wing comments, look, I disagree with those right-wing comments. There's a lot of things I disagree with coming from a lot of different people. Uh, and those comments should be condemned. I wish they would tone down their comments, but those are nothing more than comments. They're ugly comments. It's true. But nothing whatsoever could ever justify this kind of violence. You think that, though, that, uh, and again, obviously, I agree. I, I don't think there's anything that could justify what happened. But um, don't you think the, the principle that when a mass of people feel oppressed with no hope, um, some a small percentage or a segment of them might turn to extreme violence that we saw on October 7th. I mean, doesn't it create an environment in which it makes it easy for that to happen? Well, I'd like to see that mass of people who want better lives first turn on who actually first and foremost oppresses them. It is Hamas that's in Gaza. I don't think the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah has done much of a job. I mean, when I was in the White House, all they were interested are making political statements. All they were interested is fighting what they view for their rights, 
They don't improve people's lives. There's a ton of corruption there. They reward Palestinians who murder Israelis with their pay for slay program. So I hear what you're saying, the desperation. Desperation doesn't equal murder. And if they're going to speak up and out, then they should speak up and out against their leadership, their terribly divided leadership. And once you have that, you have a society that actually wants a better life and won't tolerate terrorism or extremism, then you could get into proper peace talks. And, I, and, I, and obviously, I know you blame Hamas, but is there any, and again, it may be the same question, but um, is there any blame for Israel? And I, in terms of people that say that this is all because Israel has been long emboldened, for example, by the position of the uh, American government, for example, supporting them. I reject it unequivocally. I'm heartened to see President Biden and the Biden administration doing what they're doing. As you know, I was a Trump person, and I've had my criticism about President Biden, in particular how he approached our Gulf allies, our very, very critical Gulf allies, especially Saudi Arabia, but the United Arab Emirates as well. But on this, he's been very strong. Uh, not only do I not blame him or the administration, I uh, applaud him and the administration. Is there any blame, for example, like on, or I don't know if blame is the proper word, but when you look at the Trump administration, shouldn't the policies of the Trump administration also be somewhat responsible for the situation we're in? People say it's because um, Trump uh, administration gave Israel too much and demanded uh, so little from them, from their perspective. How do you respond to that argument? So I've had that question for years. Uh, let's take Jerusalem as an example, because that's probably the first and foremost question people ask. Why did President Trump recognize Jerusalem? Why didn't he exact a penalty out of Israel? What people don't understand, and again, this is my view, I recognize to your audience, this may not be the view they want to hear or like to hear. Jerusalem has always been the capital of the Jewish people. Moreover, under US law, Jerusalem was recognized as the undivided capital of Israel, and it's only President Trump who followed U.S. law. Every other president signed what was called a national security waiver because they felt that that would create some sort of violence. President Trump did not think so. He was following U.S. law. He felt he did the right thing. But people also forget that there was a sentence at the very end of his speech where he said that this does not preclude a peace agreement or something to give Palestinians something to discuss in terms of Jerusalem. And our peace plan actually uh, allocated a part, and yes, it was very, very East Jerusalem, um, but it also recognized the holiness of what I would call the Temple Mount, and your listeners would call um, the Haram al-Sharif. It recognized the holiness to Muslims as well. People use these ex as excuses. They use it as excuses for extremism, for violence, for there not being a peace agreement. I think we never had a chance because President Abba for two reasons. President Abbas wouldn't engage on the peace plan. They didn't even look at it. They rejected it before it was launched. And of course, the divided leadership, as much as President Abbas says that the PLO is the sole representative of the Palestinian people, the two million people in Gaza are not ruled or represented by President Abbas at the moment. I, I know that uh, I, I attended the uh, Peace for Prosperity conference. I was one of the few Palestinian journalists who went there. I had a hard time getting uh, access to a lot of you know, to Kushner and to the uh, Israeli representatives when I was there. Is there a possibility that they took the Palestinians for granted or assumed that they would just reject this and that they would just move ahead with what they were doing? Well, I apologize if you didn't get the access you needed. That's a mistake. Uh, it should have happened. What happened with that conference, which I think was a very important conference, is that we were trying to show the Palestinians first and foremost, but others as well, how we can help them with the infusion of billions and billions of dollars, not as charity, not as aid, but to create a proper economic plan for them. So if and when there would be peace, there could be a beautiful Palestinian um, you know, civil uh, society, if you will. The problem is there too, President Abbas boycotted the meeting, he boycotted the conference, he not only encouraged others not to come, he, as I understood it, um, forbade Palestinians from joining. You're an American, I guess you were able to go. There were some brief, there were some brave Palestinian uh, people who came as well. But for the most part, he was not interested and they've never been interested in economic conferences, which is a mistake because at the end of the day, we could argue all day about these core issues. 
But uh, if there is no economic plan in place, there is no successful Palestinian society. Not today, and not if there ever is a peace agreement. Now, I notice I use the word society, but not state. Was that intentional? It was intentional. I don't like using the phrase, and thank you for pointing that out, because I think that's important for your listeners. I don't like using the phrase two-state solution, because I think it's too, you know, it's a couple of short words. It's a phrase that really doesn't get deep enough into the issues. And this brutal attack by Hamas reminds me so much of a very important part that we put into the peace plan. We allowed Israel to be able to do what it needed to do to protect its society. Because we know that even one day, God willing, if there is a peace agreement, there will always be elements of society in this region who are terrorists who wanna destroy lives, Palestinian lives, Israeli lives, other Arab lives. And we wanted to make sure that Israel would never have to face this issue. Would it become a state one day? It depends how you define state. I think we came up with a plan that gave the Palestinians the ability to create as as successful, perhaps even more successful, a society of Israel. But I didn't want to get into the legal nuances of the word state. Okay. And just back to this, uh, the, the current crisis, I guess would be the way to describe it. There's been, uh, we saw this violence on October 7th. Palestinians would say that there was violence leading up to October 7th. Um, and they're worried about what Israel might do currently in response. Is there any justification for what critics say is collective punishment towards Palestinians? Israel says Hamas uses civilians as human shields, but that does that justify cutting off water and electricity, for example, to the Gaza Strip and almost all services, food deliveries, everything? So I, I, I think the answer is I don't believe in collective punishment 100%. I don't know the strategy and the tactics of the Israelis. My understanding is that there is sufficient water uh, going into Gaza, that Israel only provides a certain amount of the water. I understand they've since turned it on as well with the encouragement of the Americans. Um, if Was it a negotiating tactic? I don't know. I'm not for collective punishment, certainly not when it comes to food. But I don't know how much of this is only on Israel versus also Egypt versus Hamas. There's a lot of reporting on it, and I just can't figure out the truth here. And obviously, you obviously clearly have an opinion. But can I ask you, do you condemn, for example, the killing of uh, Palestinians, innocent Palestinians by Israelis? We've heard uh, Israeli military officials call the whole Palestinian population, quote unquote, animals, and that they should be treated as such. Yeah, how do you look at that? And, um, you know, how, do you, have you condemned the killing of Palestinians? So that statement, and I don't know who said it, I haven't heard it myself, but if you're, if you're saying that a minister and the Israeli government said that, I reject that and I condemn that. I do think Hamas and those who support Hamas would fit that description. I do not think that Palestinians largely fit that description. Um, and I think those that kind of rhetoric is extraordinarily unhelpful to this. It's what creates the continued divide. Um, as far as deaths of innocent Palestinians in a war, wars are ugly, wars are terrible, but Israel didn't ask for this war. I'm a hundred, a thousand percent supportive of what Israel is doing, as is the U.S. government, as are many governments around the world. Israel has, has you know, warned Palestinians to get out of the way. They're asking them to get out of the north of Gaza so they could go in and uproot Hamas, which, by the way, not only will be good for Israel, it'll be good for the two million Palestinians in Gaza. The problem is Hamas is blocking the access routes. Hamas is telling people to stay where they belong, stay in their homes. All of that is going to necessarily result in casualties and deaths of innocent Palestinians, which is tragic. War is a tragedy, but this is not a war that Israel asked for. Does the devastation in, Ga in some of the Gaza cities shock you at all, the level of response? Well, it, it's it's sad, but this has been the cycle, right? Hamas builds terror tunnels. They put their, um, their headquarters in hospitals, in mosques, within civilian neighborhoods, not because they have nowhere else to put it, but because this is exactly what they do with the human shields. So <clears throat> while I understand the question, the real question has to come before that, which is, how do we end this cycle? How do we end the cycle of Palestinian terrorists murdering Israelis and constantly attacking Israel and causing Palestinian suffering? 
The only way to do it is once and for all to try to uproot them. Will Israel be successful? I don't know. But we can't keep saying, well, don't destroy this or that because we'll just let the cycle continue. I think this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, so you think if Hamas is uprooted um, and they're out of the picture, you think that there could actually be a peace process that would move towards um, a, a change, a peaceful process, uh, I would say state, and obviously you would def have a definition of that state, but is that the critical aspect of this conflict that you think needs to be done? I think in order to have that sort of good faith negotiation between Israelis and Palestinians, eradicating Hamas is step one. You need to know who the leadership in Gaza is going to be. It has to be a, a leadership that's interested in, in building peace with Israel and not a similar leadership to Hamas. But you also need different leadership in Ramallah. Unfortunately, and I, I know President Abbas well, he and I have many more disagreements than probably you and I. I don't think he has the capacity the ability or the willingness at this point in his life to create a real peace agreement, which means you need new Palestinian leadership over all the Palestinians. And then you could start on that extraordinarily complicated, challenging, rocky road of trying to reach peace. Any final thoughts at all before uh, we thank you for joining the show? Look, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible time for humanity. The fact that people could go in and ruthlessly slaughter Jews the way they did brings back horrible memories of pogroms and the Holocaust. I'm not indifferent to Palestinian suffering. I have many Palestinian friends. I recognize that for those Palestinians that do want peace, that do want better lives, they're caught in an extraordinarily tough position. And that's also tragic for them as well. All right. My guest, Jason Greenblatt, former White House envoy to the Middle East, under former President Donald Trump and the author of the recently published book, In the Path of Abraham, which is available online at www.inthepathofabraham.com. Jason, thank you again for joining the radio show. I appreciate it. Thank you for hosting me. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. Were you recently at the emergency room, urgent care, or at your doctor's office being told you need a hand, wrist, or elbow specialist? At the Katranji Hand Center, we offer the latest techniques in hand, wrist, and elbow care. From sports injuries to work injuries to everyday hand, wrist, and elbow problems, the specialists at Katranji Hand Center are here to get you back on track. Call us in Troy today at 248-869-4263 or visit us at katranjihandcenter.com to schedule your appointment today. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design. New location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Najee Aboud, 734-744-9796. And now I'd like to uh, welcome my next guest, Mustafa Bargudi, who is a Palestinian physician, activist, and politician who serves as the General Secretary of the Palestinian National Initiative, also known as Mubadara. He has been a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council since 2006 and is also a member of the 
Palestine Liberation Organization Central Council. In 2007, Barghouti was Minister of Information in the Palestinian Unity Government. Welcome to the program, Mr. Barghouti. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. Oh, absolutely. Let, let's talk about the current conflict and the, and the escalation. Uh, tell us, who do you blame for what's been happening now? I think the biggest side to blame is, of course, Israel, which has uh, continued the illegal Israeli occupation since 56 years of uh, West Bank, Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem. Continued the uh, process of ethnic cleansing of 70% uh, of the Palestinian population, which was committed in 1948, preventing refugees from returning home to their homeland and which obstructed uh, every possible way of having a peaceful resolution. But in particular, one should uh, blame Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, who advocated uh, in every possible way uh, the cancellation of any peace process. Uh, he wrote a whole book in 1994 uh, against the Oslo Agreement and against the possibility of two-state solution. And he even aggravated the Israeli public against uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, then Tzhak Rabin, who, who signed the peace agreement with Palestinians. That aggravation led to the assassination of Tzhak Rabin at the hand of an Israeli extremist. Then Netanyahu came to power using the same populist propaganda. And then he personally blocked any potential or possibility for a peaceful resolution. Because he was the Prime Minister of Israel with the exception of short periods of time. And he did everything to kill Oslo Agreement, to kill the possibility of two-state solution, and to prevent any peaceful negotiations with Palestinians. But there is a third party, or a, a, a third side to blame, actually, and that is the United States. And uh, in particular, the last three years, President Biden and his uh, State Secretary, Mr. Blinken, because I think Palestinians have tried to warn them several times about the explosive situation, about the fact that Israel is eliminating the idea of peace based on two-state solution through, annex, through settlement building. But they kept saying that time is not appropriate for uh, negotiations and that Israel is not ready. Well, the result is what we see today. I think, honestly speaking, this is the reality. Of course, I don't, uh, I don't agree with killing any civilians on the Israeli side. I don't think this will help our Palestinian cause. That's, that's well known. It's, it's known. It's, it's, it's clear. Uh, but, uh, and we do not accept killing any civilian, Palestinian or Israeli. But on the other hand, what is happening now is a massive act of uh, disseminating lies about Palestinians, uh, misinformation even about Hamas, claiming it is ISIS, misinformation, uh, claiming lies that were exposed later by American journalists, like uh, the lie about rape of women or the lie of uh, about uh, decapitation of children. And the uh, Los Angeles Times apologized for reporting something that was not verified. CNN did the same. Uh, but the worst thing here is that this campaign, this smearing campaign of Palestinians, dehumanizing Palestinians, the fact that the defense minister of Israel stood up and said that Palestinians are, are human animals, aggravated and prepared the ground for the for the war crimes that are happening against us but more than that it is going it, it, it led to actually a, a situation of public global hate against palestinians uh, which resulted in the terrible crime in chicago uh, few, I mean, only two days ago, when when an, a man stabbed a Palestinian child who was only six years old twenty six times or twenty two times, and and stabbed his mother as well. This is dangerous, and unacceptable, and should stop. And but explain how, what the I don't know if there's a justification for or the provocation of the Hamas attack. What was the goal? Was it what was it? Was it just an expression of 
frustration or it seemed very planned. Uh, what was their purpose for doing that, do you think? They say that they didn't uh, they didn't plan any attack on civilians and uh, that all they wanted is to uh, to conduct a military operation. But let me tell you about the background of what happened. <clears throat> During the last eight months, the Israeli army and Israeli settlers continued attacking Palestinian civilians in the West Bank. And the Israeli settlers conducted several attacks, terrorist attacks actually, against Palestinian civilian population, uh, burning their homes, burning their cars, attacking communities like Hawara, calling for eradication of the city of Hawara. Uh, and they even attacked the places like Tormusaya, where American Palestinians live. And they burned their houses. Uh, it was only a miracle that not many were burned to death by these Israeli settlers' attack. The toll of these attacks till the beginning of this uh, operation, or this uh, war, if you want to call it so, was 248 Palestinians killed, including 40 children. One of him, them, I know their family. He's a, a child by the name of Muhammad Tamimi, who was only two and a half years old when he was shot to death by an Israeli soldier. And his father was also shot several times. And uh, this also was associated with uh, Israeli acts of ethnic cleansing of Palestinian communities in Area C in, in, in the West Bank, in the occupied West Bank. Uh, 20 communities were completely evicted by Israeli settlers terror. And then add to that the continuous declaration from the side of Netanyahu that he's uh, eliminating or side by bypassing the Palestinian issue completely, uh, shelving it aside by uh, normalization agreements with Arab countries. And he tipped all of that with his speech in the United Nations General Assembly, where in front of the whole world, he showed a map of Israel that includes annexing all of the occupied West Bank, annexing all of Gaza, and annexing the Golan Heights, which belong to Syria, in a blunt act of violation of international law. This is the background of the situation, but the most explosive matter was the attacks on the Aqsa Mosque and the Muslim and Christian holy sites where Christian clerics and uh, Christian prayers were spit at by uh, Israeli, settler, Israeli extremists, and uh, where the Israeli army continuously prevented Palestinians from reaching religious places to pray. This is the background of what has happened. And uh, yes, please. I was going to say, do you think, though, that it's there's a partial fault in terms of a lot of these stories Americans don't hear, the world doesn't hear. Um, they're not augmented, they're not publicized as much as the Israeli stories. All the deaths of the killings of the Palestinians prior to the event, um, you'll hear of some, but is it a fault of the Palestinians not strengthening and conveying their message and voice? Or is it that the media and Biden and the U.S. government, they don't want to hear it? No, it's not the fault of the Palestinians, because all of that was reported to the American side, and the American side knows about it. And uh, that's what I meant, that by several messages going to the Israeli government, asking them to interfere and uh, to stop at least the settlement expansion of Israelis which went, went beyond any control, especially with the election of fascists in the Israeli government like Smotrich and Ben-Gvir. Ben-Gvir kept calling for eliminating Palestinians. Ben-Gvir kept calling for displacement of Palestinians. Smotrich, uh, the finance minister of Israel, came out saying things like, uh, we will fill the West Bank with settlements and settlers so that Palestinians would lose any hope of having a state of their own. And then they will be, uh, they will have to choose between one of three options, either to immigrate or accept a life of subjugation to Israelis or die. That's the kind of language that was being used against us. And Ben-Gvir and, and Smotrich themselves are settlers. 
And the fact that the United States allowed settlements to grow from 121,000 settlers in 1993 when the peace agreement was signed to 750,000 today, these the settlers became a power in the Knesset with the 14 members out of 120. And they had the very decisive uh, places in the Israeli government and in establishing the Israeli policy. And, and non-intervention from the side of the United States in this case uh, prepared the ground for the, the terrible disasters we see today. And of course, nothing can justify the fact that uh, we are subjected now in Gaza to three major war crimes that nobody should accept. And I know that many people were critical of the Trump administration and prior administrations, but do you see any difference between the Trump administration and the Biden administration when it comes to um, the uh, aspect of peace and Palestine uh, and this uh, 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 explosion of violence that we've seen, uh, the continuing violence really. over the past few years? Unfortunately, no, I don't see a difference. Maybe now there is a difference, which is that the Biden administration is becoming more hostile to Palestinians and more supportive of Israeli war crimes. Uh, you asked me, just to finish my previous question, you asked me whether we are responsible for not telling the world. No, we told the world, but the world doesn't care if Palestinians are killed. We don't see this influx of media, which is now filling the country. Uh, when when Palestinians were killed and died, but one and when Israelis are killed, they are all here and they are all interested. That's the kind of uh, double standard that we face. But uh, in the case of Biden administration, I think uh, not only they lost an they wasted an opportunity to prevent this war, but now they are supporting Israel unconditionally. I was so surprised that the American president would repeat lies that Netanyahu told him without verifying them. I don't know what the American security structures do. They should be advising the president. And I'm sure they knew that a lot of them were lies. And uh, to see the head of the biggest country in the world, the most powerful country in the world, saying lies because one Israeli prime minister told him his lies is totally unacceptable. And I don't think it's, re it's, it's, it's responsible. On the other hand, uh, what we see today is that the Americans are showing total unconditional support with Israeli attacks on Palestinians, not considering that they represent war crimes in international law including collective punishment of depriving Palestinians from water, electricity, food supplies, and medicines. Uh, for 10 days now, Gaza is without water, without supply of electricity, without food, without, without medications. Our colleagues in medical facilities and the hospitals are uh, screaming for help. Uh, we have uh, children in incubators who could die at any moment because of the absence of electricity. We have uh, hundreds of patients who could die because they cannot get kidney dialysis, including 130 children. We have 55,000 women who are pregnant and 5,500 of them uh, need to give birth this month. And some of them already were giving birth in the streets without any proper medical care and because all their homes have been destroyed. 70,000 homes have already been destroyed by Israel whole neighborhoods, and uh, it goes on. The airstrikes represent, in my opinion, nothing but uh, uh, an act of uh, genocide. Uh, so far, more than 3,000 Palestinians have been killed. It is presumed that 1,000 others are below the rebels that nobody can get to and uh, get the unders to bring them out. Uh, 1,200 children have been killed, innocent children, by Israeli airstrikes. And 22 Israeli prisoners who are in Gaza also were killed by Israeli airstrikes. And it seems that Netanyahu doesn't even care about the lives of these prisoners. Uh, instead of having ceasefire and allowing what uh, the other side offered, which is an exchange of prisoners, so that all these Israelis and foreigners could come home uh, safe, in exchange for Palestinian prisoners, he's continuing the attack. And I, what is worse, what is worse is that they are conducting an act, another third crime, which is ethnic cleansing. 
They forced 1.1 million people out of their homes in the north and in the middle, down to the south. And now they want to push everybody to Egypt. This would become a major catastrophe, a much worse catastrophe than 1948. And this would be a total ethnic cleansing of Gazan people, which would give Netanyahu what he wants. He wants everybody out so that he can level Gaza to, to earth and then annex it and then claim that it is needed for security reasons. I know that earlier I spoke with the uh, British uh, member of parliament, uh, Crispin Blunt, who said that uh, under the Rome statute, uh, heads of state uh, in the UK um, and even President Biden in the United States could be liable for any war crimes and atrocities that are committed because of their rhetoric and their support of what Israel is doing. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, especially that they are sending aircrafts here and sending American soldiers. And they say that 2,000 soldiers will participate in the ground invasion, uh, Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. That means they are not only complicit with war crimes, they are participating in war crimes. If and that to... is something we don't want. We don't accept. It shouldn't happen. If you were to uh, be able to speak with President Biden, what would you tell him needs to be done? Um, to stop I would this. tell him, uh, I would tell him, Mr. President, please remember that what you are doing is complete double standard. You're sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine. You're sending all kinds of military equipment, saying that Ukraine is uh, fighting occupation. Uh, and in our case, you are supporting the occupier. Uh, sending all kinds of military arsenal and money and everything to Israel. Just because Israel is your strategic ally, uh, you shouldn't allow your strategic ally to occupy other people or to oppress other people or to commit uh, war crimes against them. I would tell him that you have a historic responsibility now to stop this bloodshed, even if you care only about Israelis, because Israelis will be killed too. So if you want to stop the bloodshed, even if you don't care about Palestinian lives, you have to immediately uh, push Israel to accept ceasefire and allow uh, passage of humanitarian support to Palestinians and also uh, uh, proceed with exchange of prisoners. I... And then initiate a true peace process, uh, help Israel get out of its uh, terrible uh, terrible paradigm of uh, conducting one war against the other. They've already conducted against us more than 10 wars, and this is the sixth war on Gaza. What will they achieve? I, uh, prior to, I'm sorry, please, uh, Mr. Bergudi, I'm, I apologize. Um, prior to this interview, I interviewed uh, Jason Greenblatt, who you know was a special advisor to the former President Trump, and I asked him this same question in a different way, obviously. Did, if he condemned the killing of Palestinians by Israelis, do you condemn the killing of Israelis by Palestinians? I do not condone any killing of any civilian, Palestinian or Israeli or American or anybody else. That's my well-known position. I am against violence in general. You know me. Yes. But, uh, but uh, the question here is why everybody is asking Palestinians to condemn Palestinians, why nobody is asking any Israeli to condemn the Israeli attacks on us? Are we equal human beings or not? Are we entitled to the same human rights or not? The problem here is the double standard, and it's not new. Israel was established through a catastrophe against Palestinians in 1948. United States is so proud of the fact that they were the first country to recognize Israel. Okay. Israel was admitted to the United Nations with two conditions. One is that they would accept the partition plan of 1947 and allow Palestinians to have a state on 44% of the historic Palestine. And second, that they would accept the return of all the refugees that were displaced from their home country. None of that was implemented. We accepted as Palestinians less than half of what the UN decided we should have. A state on 22% rather than 44%. And still we didn't get it. 
the United Nations issued 1,000 UN resolutions, including 85 resolutions of the Security Council, demanding that Israel implements certain acts to stop this occupation. None were implemented. Even the one that the United States did not object to about settlements, illegal settlements in the West Bank. Israel is allowed to be unaccountable. They are allowing Israel to be impunitive to international law, and they're supporting that. My worry here is the following, and I want American people to understand that. If this American unconditional support to Israeli war crimes continue, you will face a situation where the whole world will get one message. International law doesn't matter, and international law does not exist. That would mean that every person on this, in this globe will, will think and understand that what matters today and what, that, that, that we are all subjected to the rule, rule of jungle rather than the rule of law. Uh, or international law. That's very, very, very dangerous matter. All right, Mr. Barghouti, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us, to our audience in Detroit and Washington, D.C. I so appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937, 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- Two nine nine three nine three seven. Now on the line with me from uh, London is Crispin Blunt, a member of the British Parliament and co-director of the International Center of Justice for Palestinians, which announced a notice of intention this week to prosecute UK, the possibility to prosecute UK government officials for aiding and abetting war crimes in Gaza. How would the UK be legally complicit for war crimes and face possible war crimes charges? 
uh, for acts committed by Israel's invasion of the Gaza Strip. I mean, what charges could be made and where would it go? Where would those charges be placed? Uh, did you have a chance to read uh, the letter uh, yes. we sent to the Prime Minister? Yes. But I hope it's all explained in there. And if you need to get into the uh, detail, I need to get, and get a copy of the letter because I am not a lawyer, I'm a politician, and we are an organisation with lawyers, politicians and academics in it. And that letter was written on legal counsel's uh, advice. And you will see, if you know, I want to get into the detail of your listeners, that yes, it turns on Article 25 of the Rome Statute. And the conditions within Article 25 mean that if you encourage your, uh, in this case, our ally Israel, uh, to go down a path which is criminal, um, and it is our belief that there are things, not our belief, it's a, it's a really our assessment of the facts that what is happening in Gaza is a breach of the laws of war, uh, specifically around the forced transfer of 1.2 million people, which is an absolute offence under the Geneva Convention, um, around the collective punishment of all the people of Gaza by them being denied water, food, power. Um, and uh, the uh, disproportionate uh, response in terms of what has already happened in terms of the targeting of uh, people in Gaza, uh, that doesn't appear to be a precaution taken about uh, civilian casualties being avoided, avoided disproportion in it, uh, uh, in how the, uh, and the, and the numbers of casualties that are uh, occurring, all of these would suggest uh, that what we have seen before when Israel has retaliated against uh, events coming out of Gaza, uh, that these that these specific crimes are now in the process of being uh, committed. And if you as a, an ally of Israel are not cancelling uh, precaution and not cancelling a warning about the crimes they may be engaged in, but instead just uh, unequivocally uh, giving them support with no qualification whatsoever, uh, then you are likely to be complicit uh, in the uh, guilt around the war crime itself. Do you think that this would have an impact on maybe uh, causing the Israelis to pause and consider what they're well, doing, I, I, considering I what they've the... already done over the last few days? Well, that's the purpose of this, is to try and get uh, the Israelis to pause, have her allies saying, uh, asking her to think again about the consequences of the scale of the action they might be contemplating against uh, Gaza and uh, to think about carefully about whether or not this is actually going to achieve the objectives in the immediate term, um, but also uh, the long-term objective of a wider uh, reconciliation and a path to peace with the Palestinians. I know that your party is, has been very supportive of Israel. They've been an ally and supportive. Is this possibly causing a rift between the party and the government of Israel? No, I don't think you should read anything uh, into it, Grace, in that. There are uh, uh, some of us who have uh, for a long time been very concerned about the imbalance between uh, the interests of Israelis and the Palestinians and in how they're being uh, advanced and, and very uh, conscious that the Palestinians have been on the wrong end of history for about 100 years. Uh, you can't go on like this. In the end, there has to be a measure of justice if uh, both sides are to have security. And it's only if we can find a route to uh, justice for the Palestinians that I think Israelis will be able to find security along with the Palestinians. Um, and assuming that they don't uh, take pause, that they don't consider uh, the the premise of this letter and the caution that's been issued, um, and they go ahead and do this, what would be a timetable? What uh, would happen? Well, all of that is, uh, you're asking a hypothetical question there, um, around, uh, I believe, legal actions that will be uh, unprecedented. So um, uh, I... I can't give a give a timetable there uh, as to what would happen. What we're trying to do is actually avert what would undoubtedly be uh, a disaster, which is the crime 
from Hamas of the appalling assault on Israel and the killing of so many utterly innocent Israelis uh, being responded to with another crime. Um, that's a path we should avoid going down if we possibly can. And then this sets kind of a, a somewhat of a precedent in the sense, would it have an impact on other countries? I mean, could it apply, for example, to the United States? Wouldn't they be complicit? After all, the my government, the United States, has actually given Israel the weapons and the armaments that they're going to use in an invasion. Is it possible? Well, that, 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 would, they... be, that, that would be a, a, obviously a different kind of complicity uh, engaged that, but the, the principle holds. But I noticed that the language that President Biden has been using about uh, uh, cautioning Israelis to act within international humanitarian law has been rather stronger than has been coming from Prime Minister Sunak. Um, so it's, it, but what that obviously also means is that they're absolutely aware of the uh, elements of international law that are engaged here. And this is all a result of recent changes in international law that kind of is different this time than in prior actions like this. And it is, and certainly the Rome Statute that underpins the International Criminal Court is the uh, specific uh, point of law that has that has changed, that has, uh, that has developed this doctrine, and the doctrine has also been developed in case law that has come before uh, international criminal tribunals uh, like this, which means that you know, heads of state do not enjoy any immunity from action. Um, uh, for fairly obvious obvious reasons, if they're the ones taking uh, uh, decisions uh, that, that put them uh, in the frame for uh, complicity with these kinds of uh, crimes, or indeed committing the crimes themselves. Um, and so uh, we're seeing a useful development of uh, international law to act as a restraint on behaviour that is not in the long term going to be in the interest of either of the other people perpetrating it and obviously certainly not on uh, the people receiving it. And in this instant, the people of Gaza have almost nothing about the law uh, between them and uh, what will look like very disproportionate action by uh, the state of Israel in response to the awful events that they suffered. I know the Israelis will probably push back and say, well, what are we supposed to do? This is a horrendous attack, as we all know, but um, what well, should we do? With... The law. You have to stay within the law. And if that, if it may be tiresome, but you are going to have to uh, act within the law in order to uh, go after Hamas. And they do have a very substantial number of advantages. They will they likely have identified uh, all the people who were engaged in the Hamas operation from the chain of command down to the individuals themselves who uh, uh, took part in it. A significant number of those people are now already dead um, following the Israeli military's action, uh, uh, mopping up those people who had crossed the border uh, last Saturday. Um, and they are working their way down the, uh, the Hamas chain of command. Um, so it's not as though uh, it needs the, the kind of mass population transfer that uh, is currently envisaged. And has there been any kind of response at all? Have you heard anything? Has there been any kind of response for either from Israel's government or even uh, other members of the uh, British government, the parliament? There's been, no, there's been no formal response to that letter yet. And I obviously will be asked and that letter is really a response from the Attorney General, who is the government's chief law officer, um, because I don't think we have misdirected ourselves or them uh, as to what the law really means. Uh, final question. Any other thoughts, any comments that you'd like to make about this whole situation uh, that's kind of erupted and the crisis that it's caused for so many people and civilians? Well, the uh, awfulness of Hamas actions and the, the, the scale of this, uh, obviously partly due to the uh, strategic surprise they were able to uh, get through the barrier um, is, and then uh, with the appalling murderous intent, uh, then inflict the scale of casualties that they did. There need to be some serious questions asked about how on earth have we got to a place where uh, people uh, behave like that. And we certainly don't want to respond in a way that means we make the situation worse, not better. My guest, Crispin Blunt, is a member of the British Parliament and co-director of the International Center of Justice for Palestinians, which announced the notice of intention this week to prosecute the possibility of prosecution of UK government officials for aiding and abetting war crimes in Gaza. 
Uh, Minister Blunt, thank you so much for joining me. Okay. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania Radio Show, Season 3, Episode 25, October 18, 2023, broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. You can listen to a podcast of this show and all shows by visiting arabnews.com slash Ray Radio Show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.